Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of people finding their fertile ground through their own grit and resilience stories. I'm your host, Marie Gettelgill Martin, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. Do you struggle to put words to the screen? Is writing the very last thing you want to do in your day? My mission is to make communications painless for my clients. I can turn a piece of lackluster, jargon-filled, or technical prose into clear, dynamic narrative. I help my clients discover how to tell their stories or solve their communications challenges. Look us up on FertileGroundCommunications.com. I'd love to give you a free 30-minute consult. Each week, I alternate this Finding Fertile Ground podcast with my other podcast, Companies That Care, which is about business leaders making a difference in the world. On both of my podcasts, I strive to highlight voices from historically excluded populations, the people who don't always get a platform. Check out my website for more details. This week, I interview Lily Shaw, a powerhouse actress, expert writer, and award-winning motivational speaker who was rescued and inspired by the make-believe world of cinema at the age of seven. When Lily was just starting out, her first Hollywood agent told her, if you only had the right look, you could be Sandra Bullock. Despite this subtle racism, Lily has some initial success as an actress of color in Hollywood, but none of her talent and skill and hard work seemed to create lasting success. The Me Too and Black Lives Matter movements woke her up to the ways racial and gender discrimination had stifled her voice and presence. She is using her grit and resilience to find her fertile ground, standing for social justice and equal representation. Let's meet Lily and hear her story. Hello, Lily. Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do this. Yes, me too. I'm really excited to talk to you. I love your website. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's really it's really professional and fun and really describes you so well, which I, I don't think I can say that about most people's websites. So, <laughs> so I'm really impressed with it. It really, it really screams your personality, which is fantastic. And because I'm a communicator, that's really important to me. So I'm really impressed. So wow, that means a lot coming <laughs> from you. <laughs> yes. So I'm really excited to speak with you because two out of my three sons are theater kids. Oh, and, wow. Yes. And my husband and I got engaged when we were traveling in India. So I love Indian food, books, culture, arts. It's funny because for some reason, maybe because of that, there's an Indian theme running through my, my podcast series. <laughs> great. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people with Indian backgrounds or people who lived or traveled in India. It's really interesting. I don't know why, but... <laughs> Well, we are everywhere these days. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I, and I'm just really interested in that, in the topic, I suppose. So, yeah. So let's start with the beginning. Can you tell us about your childhood, where you grew up and what your childhood was like? Like you said, I was born in India uh, and I came to the States as a teenager. So I have definitely had uh, what I describe is the best of the both worlds kind of upbringing because I got to experience the community and the spiritual uh, way of living, you know, as a kid in India. And then once I came here as a teenager, I got to like experience the independence and the, you know, the ambitious side of life. So I really do feel that I experienced and I'm now able to create a life for myself that kind of works on both levels where I can kind of live a life that is honestly like a an amalgamation of both of my life, you know, my lifestyles and uh, my life experiences. 
Great. That's very similar to my friend Sankar. He grew up in a small village and he talked about, you know, how he was very focused on community and he would just run around in the village and go into somebody else's house for food and they would feed him and, <laughs> and how it really formed, you know, who he is now. Well, yeah. honestly, uh, I come from a big city in India. So I definitely had an uh, upper middle class kind yes, of upbringing. Uh-huh. My brother and I went to private schools. I was absolutely like that British Indian kid that you see, you know, like I grew up watching BBC. My parents trusted BBC radio more than they trusted like regular, you know, national Indian TV and radio. So my upbringing was definitely more city oriented. And, you know, my parents were a nuclear family. So it wasn't quite as community as maybe somebody who grows up in a village is mm-hmm. because they'll grow up like like it's a one big family, but I definitely grew up with neighbors and with friends who were like real friends and real friendships and real relationships where you could, you know, rely on each other and talk to each other. And there was no wall, you know, people were open, people were honest when communicating with each other. So Mm. that is definitely like the Indian trait that I grew up with. What city did you grow up in? I'm actually from Panchkola, but my parents are like originally from Punjab. Oh, right. When we were in India, we were when we travel, we try to kind of focus on one area. So we were in Rajasthan almost the whole mm. time. Rajasthan and Delhi and Agra were the only parts of India that I saw. So that's my perspective of it. So you went to Taj Mahal then? We went to the Taj Mahal. We went to, you know, all the famous cities, Jodhpur, Jaipur, Jaisalmer. Um, that's awesome. I've never been to Rajasthan. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. And Udaipur is where we got engaged in a Lake Palace hotel. Oh, my God. That's known for palaces. That's so romantic. (laughs) I know. It was amazing. I know. Great trip. My husband's British, and we met in Japan. We were teaching in Japan. Oh, my. And then we traveled through Asia afterwards. This was a really interesting anecdote. When we went to go get our visas in Japan for India, my Mm. visa was a quarter of the cost of his. And I was like, oh, yeah, the Indians are trying to get back at the British. Uh, <laughs> charging, charging more for, isn't that hilarious? It's like, this, I, mean, I would have imagined it was probably the other way around. I know. I know. Isn't that funny? I just thought, you know, that's got to be it. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. You talk about being rescued and inspired by the make-believe world of cinema at the age of seven. Can you, can you tell us about like the kinds of movies that inspired you? And tell us that story. Oh my God, I was a Bollywood brat. I mean, I was through and through Bollywood, born, bred, raised. My introduction to movies kind of happened through the world of dancing. From the time that I was born, as my parents tell me, I danced. I mean, whether or not like music was playing, I would be dancing to it. Like I already like I had this natural kind of inbuilt connection really to music. And Bollywood movies, as we all know, are very, very music heavy, mm-hmm. dancing heavy. So for me, as I as my love for uh, dancing was there, like, you know, I, I call it like it was my factory installed talent. It was a natural segue for me to sort of become a part of the Bollywood films. But I don't really know how and when I decided to become a movie actress. Like, all I really remember is watching movies and just really getting completely taken in, you know, by the drama, by the love, by the gravitas. And in Bollywood movies, at least when I was growing up, you know, films always had a happy ending, Mm -hmm. which I thought was awesome. Like, so for me, the rescuing part came from that because I realized it's like, oh, you know, I would be an actress because then everything would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) 
So I think that became sort of my my yeah, my connection to movies. You know, I lived in the world of movies. I think I saw the world through the lens of cinema. I mean, that really was what happened to me. And it just completely captured me in every possible way. And I'm really happy. The reason I say that it rescued me is because it allowed me to channel life's challenges and pain and creativity all into acting rather than like getting distracted, losing my way. For me, movies just was like this one thing that no matter what was going on, it was always this consistent presence in my life. So that is how like it they rescued me from all of the storms of my life. Do you still dance? Not as much as I used to, but yes, I do. <laughs> so let's talk about when you immigrated here as a teen. That must have been quite a different experience for you. Can you share some positives and negatives about immigrating here as a teenager? Honestly, it wasn't that radical a shift for me. A lot of the lifestyle stuff was the same to me, but we actually went from a bigger town to a smaller town. So to me mm. and like to my family, we it kind of felt like we went back 20 years because mm. the India that I had grown up in and the India that I saw here in America, it just didn't jive. It was a different understanding and a different interpretation really of Indian culture. So that was like one of the hardest things. Uh, Lifestyle-wise, there wasn't anything different other than the language, you know, because I was very much a British, English, Indian kind of a person. And, you know, and America certainly is not that culture. So that was the cultural challenge. You know, school wise, there wasn't a huge change for me because I was excelling there. I was excelling here. Initially, there wasn't that much of a difference. The big change came when I started excelling a little too much. By that, what I mean is that, you know, I was a straight A student, I was winning all these awards, I was a public speaker, I, and that kind of brought out this other side. And I kind of started seeing the shadow side, as they say, of both like my family, the ones who were already here and who had sponsored us, and then also of the world. My mom's side of the family, what I saw was like, they expected me to fill the shoes of a third world country immigrant who didn't know what a salad was. Those were the shoes I was expected to fill. I was not expected to be ambitious. I was not expected to be talented. And so that brought out a very ugly side in them. And it ballooned into this, really what I call like this hate campaign against me. It only ended when I kind of disconnected and, and ended all ties with them. And in the world, what I noticed was, again, it was this other side of it was great that you were a great student. And, you know, but in the real world, you know, you're a woman and you're brown. And so you should know your place. And it was that. So that's mm -hmm. when I experienced racism and sort of gender discrimination the first time in my life, really in such stark terms where school was like this other thing where I was flourishing and excelling and having fun. And, you know, I had a really great part-time job. And then I step into the real world and it's like, this is like, that's great, but it's time to get real. The messages you were getting were like, excel, but not too much. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Excel as much as we're comfortable with. Uh -huh. And because these were people in a tiny town, mm -hmm. um, their comfort zone was very limited. It's a difference between living in a swimming pool versus living in an ocean. The messaging was know your place and mm -hmm. which is that you will never be as good as us. So that's a good segue to my next question, which is about your being the first person in your family to step away from tradition and pursue a creative career. So you've talked a little bit about what kind of pressures you were under. How did you find a way to believe in yourself and pursue your dream? 
Thankfully for me, because I was raised in an environment that was incredibly individualistic and incredibly spiritual in India. So I, from a very young age, had connected to my inner voice, to like my inner truth and my intuition. And I think my parents had a healthy amount of respect for my intuition. I grew up trusting my voice, so you know, which was an unheard of thing. Like when you're a woman, you know, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a girl in India or and in really anywhere in the world, I mean, the only way you're allowed to exist is if you do as you're told. So I was in many ways being prepared for this kind of a life where I would make my own decisions. And I think my parents consciously and subconsciously kind of supported that. So that upbringing really, really rescued me when it came time to make decisions that were right for me. Like I said, I had grown up with the idea of being an actress. And in my whole life, I had thought, well, you know, I was going to be a Bollywood actress. But since that changed, the next best thing was like coming to LA. So it wasn't even like a thought for me. You know, I was like, okay, I want to act. I want to act in the movies. And here I am. Let's do this. So for me, it was a very, very natural progression of where my life was headed. But for the world and for the relatives and, you know, the extended people on uh, my mom's side, that was unheard of. First of all, I was an Indian woman who didn't want to be a doctor, which was like, what? Like, that's impossible. If you're Indian, (laughs) you're going to be a doctor because that's why Indians exist, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a shock. You know, they expected me to like, you know, do something respectable. And obviously, when you say you want to be an actress, what you're really saying is that you're a whore, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was like the, um, the pushback that I received. But I think The cultural norm uh, was, again, the problem was that here I was a girl making a decision for her own life without consulting others. And that was the bigger problem than my choosing an acting career. I went my way and the people who disagreed with that went theirs. And I'm doing my thing, which was doing what came naturally to me. And they did what they thought was right, which was to, you know, like, basically be like vicious and malign my reputation in the world. I chose to honor my truth. And I respect the fact that I guess they decided to honor theirs. I mean, it sounds like you have a really strong true north. And you are also blessed to have parents who supported that. And that's, that's really lucky. The true north and uh, the solidness that I have in my thought process is very much an acquired thing. I definitely didn't have that when I was 21, 22. I just had this dream and I decided to pursue it. But I definitely was, I'm not going to lie, like it totally came as a shock to my mom. I mean, I, I don't think it did, but I think she saw the writing on the wall. But when I did tell her, she was surprised that I, in fact, did want to live this life. I really mm-hmm. did want to be an actress. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once I made that decision, like my mom and my brother, for that matter, jumped on board. And I think that became the another point of contention because the social circle, the Indian community and even like the extended family in uh, Northern California, I think they fully expected my family to disown me and not stand by me. But my my mom and my brother. Yeah, I think that was the level. Yeah, because how dare you be an actress? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, but that didn't happen. So there was a lot of like this subtle war that was being waged against me, which I have to say in my naivete, I didn't notice till later. It's so ridiculous, isn't it? All you wanted to do is do this with your life. And why is it anybody else's business, right? Yeah, I think that is the problem we're experiencing, right? On the ma- macro and like on the micro level, right? People doing what they're right for them, mm-hmm. for some reason, just tends to rub people the wrong way. And I, yeah. I'm not sure why that kind of insecurity exists. 
I did what was right for me. And I also understood subconsciously that I had signed up for a bigger challenge. I just didn't realize how big that challenge was actually going to be till I came to LA. But I did know, I mean, I I knew that I was in for like one hell of a ride, really. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you moved to LA after college. What did you study in college? I studied finance. Oh my um, gosh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I did. So you thought you you were kind of going down this path to be a financial person and then you decided to pursue your dreams? Is that kind of what No, happened? no, no. No. I wanted to be an actor who understood money. Oh, that's very smart. I actually wanted was thinking about majoring in journalism, but then by just fluke of something, like I wasn't able to sign up for the program. And then I had to pick a major and I was like, let me go with finance just because my dad was a banker. So it was a natural fit for me. And I, and I really, like I had heard so many stories about actors not knowing money. And I was like, no, I want to be able to know money. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the right decisions, but I still wanted to be able, you know, to be able to read a newspaper back in those days, we had this thing called newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that's kind of, yeah, it was very much a thought out process. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. And, you know, I interviewed a woman on my other podcast called Companies That Care. She was the managing director for a theater out of Atlanta called Dad's Garage. And she had a not the same kind of educational background, but she was viewed theater like the operations of theater. Mm. And, and such an important skill that a lot of people in theater don't really have. So that's really right. smart of you. Did you do a lot of theater like in high school and college too? Not in college. In college, I did a lot of speaking, but I did a lot of theater and dancing in India yeah, as a kid. Oh, as a kid, right? So you didn't really get involved in the theater world so much here until you went to LA? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And was that a deliberate choice or you just didn't have time for it? Yeah. I, you know, like I was a recent immigrant and I needed people to show me the way and people who were giving me advice, like I said, you know, had other interests in mind. You know, when you're 19, 20, there's only so many decisions you can make on your own, you know? If I had known that, you know, theater was a a good option, I would have probably done that. But I didn't know that. And by the time I got to Sac State, there was like already like an established theater group. And so I just I wasn't able to find that way in. You know, there was also the challenges of being a recent immigrant. And like I also had to make time for my family and to be there for them when they needed me. My brother was in high school. You know, there was a lot of immigrant related stuff of like Uh settling yourself that just naturally takes precedence. My life was a little bit more curtailed towards providing for family before kind of like providing for myself. Well, you know, theater does in high school or college does take a huge amount of time. (laughs) It does. It does. I know. Yeah, I know now. I didn't know that then. Yes. My oldest son has a theater degree. And then my middle son just started his freshman year and is planning to major in sociology, but is also in a play this fall. So he's trying to learn how to do college while he's in a play. So (laughs) we'll see how that goes. That's awesome. Yeah, chance I would have done it. I would have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited for him because he hasn't been on either stage for a while. So you were lucky enough to land your first acting role with Christopher Guest. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's amazing. What was that like? You know, I went on an audition, had no idea what it was. It was a commercial audition, no less. And it happened like after I had been in LA for two to three years, I think at that point. And I was, you know, doing the typical going to classes and getting us beat. Well, in my case, I wasn't a waitress. I was an office worker, but I was definitely doing a day job. So it was just, you know, it was a regular run of the mill audition. And I went in, did my first audition and then got a callback. 
it was a very, very crowded callback. And I remember sitting there going, I think I want to book this. So <laughs> I walk in and I kind of did, you know, they t- told us what to do and I did it. And just as I was about to leave, this guy just kind of like randomly said to me, that was really great. That was awesome. And I was like, oh, great. Thank you. And then I kind of like did that flip turn, you know, that double take. I was like, who was that? And (laughs) no. And so then I walk out of the room going, holy shit, that was the guy from that show. I mean, I knew he was an actor and he was a director, but I didn't like really put it together that that was Christopher Guest. I was like, this is someone I know. (laughs) And I walk out and one of the casting associates was like, you know, Christopher Guest was in there. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> completely freaked out. And that's when I was like, oh my God. And I for sure got the call. And I got the sense that when I did my audition, like in my callback, he gave me the role. When he told me that that was really good, I think that was him telling me that I had gotten the role. He's really talented. Tell us about your first Hollywood agent and what he said to you. In those days, again, like I was not quite as diplomatic. And in my case, also not quite as aware of the racist aspect of America. I grew up being perfectly aware of gender discrimination, but skin color discrimination was new to me. I did not know how deep it ran. I was having an honest, real conversation with my agent at the time about my prospects, you know, and he just like flat out was like, well, you know, and I was showing him a copy of my work and which he was like really liking. He was like, this is really good. It was, you have a natural instinctive talent. And I had just started going to acting classes back then. So, he, you know, and this was my very, very first sample of like my work. And he was like, this is very good. And then he just like turned around and said that, you know, if only you had the right look. So I was like, huh, I didn't even clock it to like later I was in my car. I'm like, what the hell did he mean Uh by that? You know, and then I came home and I told my roommate. And that's when she told me the subtle meaning of what he actually told me. If I had the right look, I'd be the next Sandra Bullock. And I moronically thought that what he meant was that I wasn't thin enough, you know, because uh-huh. back then I wasn't. Well, I mean, I'm still not, but, you know, back then I really wasn't. I didn't understand it, I got to say. And then it was my roommate going, this is what he meant. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Subtle racism and, and not so subtle racism. And, and Asian actors often get pigeonholed into certain types of roles. Has that happened that to you me. as well? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I uh, got to that point where I I had to like seriously have a conversation about coming up with a stage name. I resisted that for the longest time because I didn't want to misrepresent myself, Mm -hmm. but I was growing and changing and evolving. And from the very beginning did not fit into the box of what it meant to be Indian, at least to me, the India that I had grown up in and the India that I was experiencing in the States was just a completely different thing. So I really didn't fit into the box. So I had to make a very calculated decision of like, well, how do I want to present myself? So that's when I came up with the idea of like creating a stage name for myself. So Lily Shaw is your stage name. It is. Yes. It came Uh, out of my birth name. And what was your birth name? It's Shafali. Oh, that's pretty. So yeah, it's the same thing. Only I just added a W. That's Uh it. Right, right. (laughs) Did that feel good to you when you did that? Or was that a hard decision? Actually, COVID was the catalyst just because I was not fitting into any category. That was the bigger problem with me is that I, you know, a lot of Indian 
actors in America are able to like fit into the traditional Indian role and then they break out of it, right? Like Mindy mm. Kaling. She embraced the stereotype and, and then she broke it. But my problem was that I wasn't fitting into the accepted stereotype because I was, you know, too well educated. I was, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just not working. This idea had been floated to me about like changing and sort of, it wasn't just that like, you know, change your name. It was like, let's find a way to present me in a way that's a little bit more global, which became very, very true for me because I did have a bit of a global upbringing. I did have a secular upbringing in, in India. And then, uh, you know, we lived in a mixed neighborhood in the States. So once I, uh, you know, accepted into the idea of being a global citizen, uh, you know, changing the name, sort of changing like my website, as you say, you know, all of that kind of like fit really, really well, because calling myself an Indian American versus like calling myself like a global American was like a better fit for my upbringing. It reflected me better. And the name change was like that final kind of the icing on the cake of like, yeah, let's do this. And now it represents and reflects who I am much more authentically and in an aligned way than maybe what my culturally birth name did. First of all, it made people feel more comfortable. It also took away the doubt that I was in fact an American. You know, people were much more willing to talk to me and approach to me because they could say my name, frankly. So. Uh, that's kind of sad. Well, I mean, it's changing now, you know, uh-huh. is it changing? Yeah. yeah, people are now making more and more because of, you know, the Me Too and all of the world, uh-huh. you know, this world today is not what it was 10 years ago. Uh-huh. That's uh, true. It seems like Hollywood's, it's talking a lot more about diversity, but hasn't quite gotten there yet. Like the recent Emmy Awards. Uh, I didn't. You, didn't, have, you haven't heard about that? I, so no, uh, were, I don't know what happened. There were a lot of diverse actors nominated, but most of them didn't win. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, a few did win, but most of them didn't win. So that's where it's like, okay, so Hollywood is trying, clearly. You know, I do think that it is. I mean, just by the sheer volume of like the kind of roles that I am now being considered for, it's changed. It's different. Oh, good. I do think that there is definitely a major push. And definitely, I think the casting directors who are coming up are kind of pushing the producers and the directors into more inclusive casting. And I think people at the top are definitely very, very aware. I think that's why we're seeing a lot more like contrast. You know, there is a white guy, we'll see a black woman. If it's a black guy, we'll see a brown woman. I mean, I'm very happy. Can more be done? Sure. Mm -hmm. But the Bollywood, uh, Bollywood, the Hollywood that exists today (laughs) is not what it was when I first started. Yeah. And I think that the streaming services probably are kind of pushing us. Very much. You know, don't you think so? Like there's so many more international hits, for example, like on Netflix. Very. I think Netflix definitely like um, is leading the charge, especially because the content creator, uh, the, the, the director of content at Netflix is an Indian woman. So, so that I think is definitely a huge part of that. Then Amazon definitely has a very broad range of like the kind of content they do. But, you know, I got to say, like, even with like Apple and network TV, maybe not network, but like definitely cable and like Apple, even you are seeing like black leads and, you know, Asian leads and all of that stuff is happening pretty consistently, which is good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So if you were the overlord of Hollywood, what would your Nirvana look like in terms of diversity? Yeah. What would Hollywood look like? You know, I don't know that there is just a one answer. What's important, which 
is I think what we're seeing culturally happen is to reduce the culture of whitewashing and to remove the only acceptable narrative that was, was that of a white guy. As long as we keep being inclusive and telling stories that are true and are fantastical, they imagine the future, they create the future, and then they're also realistic. Like they tell the world and tell the stories as they are today. As long as we keep using every type of a person to tell both of those stories, I think diversity-wise, we're going to be fine. The bigger story that I really think that Netflix really has done an amazing job is equalizing everybody. So you will, you'll see them make, you know, Mexican movies, you see French movies, you see Hindi movies. You know, I think that also introduces that, oh, you know, today we're watching English movie and tomorrow we're going to watch a, a Mandarin language movie, you know. So I think that equalizing is ultimately going to create a version of Hollywood that's going to be more inclusive. Good. That's good. I'm glad that there's hope there. <laughs> Let's talk about your turning point during the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. How did those social movements shift your thinking? You know, like I said, that um, as a young actor, because of, you know, my agent uh, said to me, and that was just the beginning of like this descent into this vortex of darkness of my life, where every turn in every way, I was just constantly being told that I'm not good enough, you know, sometimes using fancy words, sometimes being told, oh, you're not talented enough, or, you know, we went a different way, or we want something, someone thinner, younger, older, I don't care, you know. So it was the answer that I was constantly getting is that not I was not the answer to the problem that, you know, they were looking to solve. You know, that was the message. So I started internalizing that, you know, I started thinking that there was something wrong with me. So, mm -hmm. in fact, I remember having this very clear thought one time that if somebody would just tell me what's wrong with me, I will fix that because everything was always wrong with me, but it was never anything specific. Everything was always my fault, but it was never like, oh, this is what you're doing wrong. It was just like this level of like just not being seen, literally having people see through you. I got to say, as strong as I was, I really started believing that. And it was through the Black Lives Matter and then the Me Too movement before that, that I started seeing that I wasn't alone in this thing. It was the first time that my eyes were open to this idea that maybe something else is going on here. And as more and more actresses came out and we started hearing these horrible, horrible gut-wrenching stories, that's when it hit me that any of these stories could have been mine and not one of these atrocities would have been my fault. This became the catalyst of going, wait a minute, it's not me, it's them. They are lying to me when they say that I'm not castable. They are lying to me when they say that I was too fat, not good enough, not too talented, not too tall, not too blonde, that they, it was their problem that I was experiencing racism. And one of the greatest problems with racism or with an oppressive kind of a culture, whether it's like my mom's family, you know, mistreating me or like Hollywood kind of like coming at me or, you know, isolating me is that you really do start believing that it's your fault. You really do think that if you were better, this awful stuff wouldn't be happening to you. 
in, in the Me Too movement, my eyes were finally open and I was like, oh my God, like it was such a wake up call of I am good enough. It's them who are not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and then the Black Lives Matter movement really, you know, especially the reaction, not the protesting as much because the protesting, you know, I was aware of, you know, having lived in a mixed neighborhood, having gone to school and, you know, living uh, in a bigger city, I was aware of the amount of discrimination that Black people went through. But the reaction to the protests, I was like, oh, I finally understand the depth of the discrimination. So that spurned me into, I am not going to put up with this BS anymore. You know, it was such a difficult conversation to have with myself. But I was like, no, I know that I'm a good actor. I know that I'm pretty. So I started believing in myself. And in believing in myself, I started seeking out people, coaches and agents and teachers who would then help me make my dreams a reality. Something that wasn't even an option for me before, because I really didn't think that I was worthy of success. I really had started believing Mm -hmm. that there was fundamentally something wrong with me. Another brilliant side effect that happened to this was that I did not trust my own voice. Constantly second-guessed, constantly was skeptical of my own decisions because that was the messaging I was getting from the world that you can't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not to be trusted. I don't have validation. I don't have intelligence. So I was literally not trusting myself. I slowly and steadily learned to trust myself learned to make decisions that were right for me, even if they didn't look right to others. And that started my journey of this empowerment where I was like the person that I really am today of like, I like myself. I know what I can do. I know I have talent. I have a voice and I'm going to be seen. I'm going to be heard and I'm going to be fierce. Wow. Congratulations. How is your stand to be treated equally fairly with dignity? How has that changed your career? I think that was the journey of as I turned myself around, started having more positive conversations with myself and started valuing myself before I wanted the world to value me. That opened my eyes and showed me how much other people, you know, and not all of them people of color, but even like women, you know, white women, gay people, you know, sexual orientation, transgender people. So, you know, I started understanding as isolated as I felt that it actually was not an isolated problem, that it was pervasive. Everybody was mistreated if you didn't check off a certain type of a box. The conversation, you know, so I purposely started speaking like these conversations that I'm having today, this kind of a podcasting, I would have never dared to do this, you know, five years ago. But I figure if I share my story, that there's going to be other actors out there, other creators out there who are going to hopefully resonate and and understand that if they're feeling alone, if they're feeling isolated, if they're feeling dismissed and left out, that it's not their fault. That is just that you have to change the conversation. You just have to understand that this is an old paradigm in action. So all of this stuff that I'm doing now, where I'm speaking, where I'm writing, where I'm acting in projects that feel that are aligned with my personal truth, I think exemplify my fight of fairness and equality and most importantly, female empowerment. 
Absolutely. And it's interesting because I, when I first asked you to be on this podcast, it was stories of grit and resilience. But in the last month or so, I've, I'm rebranding it to focus on people who find their fertile ground in their career based on their stories of grit and resilience, which really is exactly what you've done. You found your mm-hmm. fertile ground. Yes. And the brilliant thing that I've noticed is that as I have found as I have grounded myself, I'm now aligning with many other women, many other men, young men for that matter, who are also aligning with their truth. It may feel that you're all alone, but really, it just is a matter of finding the right community, finding the right people. Yes. Another excellent segue to my next question, which, is a, <laughs> which you're reading my mind, obviously. So I read the article about you in Authority Magazine, where you share the five things you wish someone had told you when you got started. And the one that really stuck out to me is have a community that lifts you up. I'm constantly saying that. So what does that community look like for you? Oh, my God. I mean, really, first of all, I think it's very important because women are taught to be these lone wolves. You know, you have to do everything yourself. And, you know, that's the only way you can prove that, you know, you're a person. You have to, like, you know, Cheryl Sandberg. Sandberg. Uh-huh. Yeah. That more, you know, that stupid book. Uh, <laughs> lean in. No, no. Do not lean in. Well, she doesn't, and she, she does not do it herself because she has a nanny, right? I mean, she could do all those things because she can pay for help, right? So she has an assistant. She uh-huh. has a nanny. Yes, exactly. She has a driver who picks her up. Right. And, Yes, you know, I think Michelle Obama was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> I know. I know. Yes. First of all, it's very difficult for women to seek help. So it's like, please seek help. You know, mm-hmm. seeking help doesn't make you less. It, in fact, strengthens you. Mm-hmm. You know, it is the most aware uh, decision a woman can make when you say, this is what I do well, and this is what I don't do well, and I need help on that. Mm-hmm. And men do that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the women, you know, the rules are different, you know, whatever. I mean, we're not going to go there. So, yeah, I do think that community is very, very important. And this is something I went through my own lone wolf journey and then realized I needed help. So for me, you know, that was finding the right coaches. That's where it started, you know, finding the right acting coach in my case that was like Jen Rudolph who came into my life and she was one of the first people who saw me as an actor the way that I wanted to be seen so from their point on you know I have found these brilliant brilliant coaches acting coaches PR coaches you know I now even have like a personal trainer she like works with me I mean not one-on-one but like on zoom and whatnot so I will just say that you know don't be scared to invest in yourself and find the best people that you can find because living in the community of like-minded people it's the best and the fastest way to elevate yourself. I love that message. It's so true for me too, because like three or four weeks ago, I just finally hired a business coach and she is not inexpensive, but I was just telling my husband yesterday, it's like the value I get from this business coach. I mean, she puts it all out there and she's giving me so much value for my money. And it was such a good decision. I mean, look, I, I will say this, that, you know, if you can't afford Get the coach that you can, but get help. You know, if you like, I definitely started like when I first started, I didn't have any idea, but you know, one experience led to the next coach, you know, that kind of stuff, but get help. You know, it does not make you weak. If you need, you know, mental help, go get it. If you need, you know, body help, which is what I needed in my case, go get it. You know, if you need somebody who can be your emotional coach, go get it. You know, there is no shame in asking for help. Absolutely. 
So you, I read, are fluent in Hindi, Punjabi, Pakistani, Urdu, and beginner Spanish. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. I don't know how you keep all that straight. Did you? Did you I don't. Up? I don't. I don't I, oh they're gosh. all jumbled. I have no idea on any given day oh how, what I'm going to speak. Like I assume you grew up speaking Hindi, Punjabi, and Urdu. I grew up speaking Hindi. Hindi is my mother tongue. Uh I spoke Urdu because I watched a lot of Bollywood films and that's where I picked up Urdu. Uh Not that different from Hindi. And then I learned Punjabi when I came to Sacramento because there was a lot of Punjabi people living in that area. So that's where I picked up Punjabi and started speaking Punjabi. And Spanish happened because my mom is a teacher in a a primarily in a Spanish speaking Ah. community. Uh So she took like a year of Spanish so she can speak tiny little bit of Spanish. And then like my brother and I would like listen to her and then we started picking up some words here and there. And so just, you know, so I am now at that stage where I can like put it in the Google translation (laughs) and then translate it and then know how to speak it. Uh Right, right, right. Well, you, you obviously have a gift for languages too. (laughs) Another reason why that caught my attention is I've been doing Duolingo. At one point I spoke Japanese and German. So I started off with (gasps) Japanese and German, but then I thought, you know, what am I ever going to speak Japanese? (laughs) You know, my husband, I haven't been, to Japan since we left many, many years ago. And I, that's not very useful. So I've started studying Spanish. Nice. Spanish. It's difficult. <laughs> huh? like, it I'm is. Like struggling with it. It is. But, but Duolingo does make it more fun. Like German has articles too. The articles make it really hard. Like, why is this feminine and this is masculine? It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, right? Same but, thing with Spanish. I'm like, what if that makes no sense? But okay. I know. I'm doing it also because I feel like it's good for my brain. And, and living on the West Coast, you're more likely to use Spanish than Japanese or German, right? I, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, you know, Japanese anime are, is so popular. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, but I, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I like to, you know, watch Japanese films and things like that, too. So but I mean, with Spanish, I've already used it. I already feel like I mean, I recognize words and I feel like that's helpful for me. So yeah, it's good. And probably living in LA, you probably have even more, even more exposure. Basically, since I came to LA, like, I, I you know, it's it's a Mexican dominant community, uh, uh-huh. area, you know, right. so, like Indian communities are there, but they're not like in LA. And plus, I didn't really get exposure to that. So I did fell into that. So wanting to learn Spanish just like became as like, I should be able to say a few words here and there. You know? uh-huh. Right, right. What are you streaming right now? Are you watching anything? <laughs> You're going to laugh, but for the last month or so, I'm actually wa- I've been watching I Dream of Jeannie. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I grew up on that. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I saw it in India, actually, uh, when I was a little girl, but it was uh, dubbed in Hindi. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. uh, (laughs) So it's wonky, like every once in a while, like I'll see an episode and I immediately it like will trigger my flashback to like me in my (sighs) old home in India. But of course, the language is different. So I remember the visuals, but you know, so it's kind of fun to watch it in original English now and be like, oh my gosh, anything else? I just got done watching God, what is it called? The Magicians. Oh, so I that's know that a, yeah, that's uh, it's on Netflix. That's pretty awesome. I think it's one of those things. If you like this, that kind of world, the, uh, the supernatural world, I think you'll like it. Mm. Just also saw the trial of Chicago seven. That's mm-hmm, a movie. Mm-hmm. That's very good. That was a powerful movie to watch. Mm-hmm. 
God, I've watched so much stuff. I know. know. I mean, the, the morning show, you know, the was morning another show. One. Uh-huh. That was really, really like, I really liked Therese Witherspoon. She was a revelation in that. You know, I really enjoyed seeing an angry woman on TV. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've only watched a, uh, the first few episodes of that. I need to get back to it because I know a lot of people who are really into it right now. Yeah. And then I've been watching, you know, I uh, just got done watching Black Widow, the Scarlett Johansson's movie. We finally get to see her story. Like everybody else got their backstory. Oh. Now we're going to get to see her character's backstory. So that's going to be fun. Oh. That was a good movie. They introduced this other girl character. I'm not going to lose, uh, like destroy it for you. But this girl character is really nice. Uh, so, you know, for my birthday this year, my birthday was early in October. And I asked for my family uh, for a Regal Pass, movie pass. So Regal is, you know, the primary type of theater here. And so I can go see a movie a week. Is, <gasps> I know. It's just like... Well, oh then go gosh. watch, uh, go watch what you call the James Bond. It's his last. Yeah, movie. yes. I'm generally am not into James Bond because of the sexism, but is, my 15 yeah. year olds went with my 25 year old yesterday or the other day. And well, my younger son said it was really sad, but I, I think I am going to go see it tomorrow, though. Yeah, I think you should. I think just like, uh-huh. you know, I thought I think he was the best James Bond ever. Oh, good. Um, that, I think, that's a good one to watch. <laughs> I think the last James Bond that I watched was um, streaming was Octopussy, the one that was filmed in Udaipur. Oh. And that was not a good one. <laughs> I, I, I I have not seen. <laughs> that was not a good James Bond. No, I know. I know. And I, I went through a period where I was watching James Bond with my, my younger sons. So I thought, you know, I don't think I can take this anymore. But my son does tell me that it's, you know, there are a lot more strong women characters now than there used to be. So... <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely yeah. i think it started with like with pierce brosnan i have not seen the sean connery movies because i they're just too sexist for uh-huh. me yeah but pierce brosnan movies are okay and uh-huh. daniel craig's are just like i mean they're d- still sexist but at least the women are now better uh-huh they right have character they have a, they have an arc yeah right apparently pierce brosnan is my husband and son's favorite james bond really apparently yeah, mine is Daniel Craig. He's hot. Yeah, they say he's second for them. So, so oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, what's next for Lily? What's your dream for the future? What would you like to be doing five to ten years from now? I already have like so many irons in the fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I really would like to see the work that I've started in 2020 sort of solidify and become this full-grown version of my work like my work is my language you know it's how I connect with world it's how I show up I know that you're supposed to be able to you know communicate differently but I communicate through my work through my creativity so I want to keep growing and keep uh, keep expanding and keep creating but I want to keep doing it in a way that is authentic and aligned to myself without compromising. I love that you're focusing on your writing and your speaking and your acting. It seems like you've got the full package there. So I wish (laughs) you the very best. And I have a friend I want to introduce you to as well. Get you connected on her podcast. (laughs) Her name name is Ash Prasad and she has a podcast called The Inclusive Screenwriter. So yeah, so I I think that you would be a great guest for her podcast. So I'm going to connect you with her. Thank you so this. much. I would love that. Thank yes. You. Yes. And she actually has written a book about inclusive screenwriting too. So yeah. <gasps> so I'll get you connected with her and I think that'll be a great 
great match. My final question is, is there a story of grit and resilience that has been an inspiration for you in, in your life? I think there's a few people who have inspired me in terms of like a people from afar. I would say Oprah is a huge example for me. She's like that guiding light for me. There's a Bollywood actor, Shah Rukh Khan, who is a self-made Bollywood. You know, he was also the outsider who just basically took you know, the whole industry and redesigned and reimagined it. He's definitely been a consistent presence in my creative life. I think personally, when I was a young girl, my mom was a huge, you know, influence in my life. I saw her create her world and sort of live in it. It was very difficult for a woman to live her life according to her own terms, but I always saw my mom try to do that. And yet somehow she taught us to be kind and compassionate and have our spirituality. I think those are my like top three people. And I'm also uh, now as I'm writing more and more about my life story, I'm also coming into grips with the fact that I have actually survived quite a bit. I, I know it's kind of weird to say that, but I'm like, holy hell, like I did this, like I have <laughs> survived this long, who knew? So. You can inspire yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I, it's not inspiring. It's just resilience. It's like yeah. you, if you keep following your true yeah. star, then, you know, you keep finding the courage to keep moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I had the same sort of epiphany when I started doing podcasting. And I, I, I actually did a podcast about my own life because I realized like, yeah, this is yeah. why I'm so interested in resilience because of what I've been through. So yeah, right. absolutely. That's absolutely. great. Yeah. Well, this has just been a real pleasure, Lily. I've loved getting to know you and I look forward to our continued connection. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the, this candid conversation. It's not you know, uh, only a woman can have this kind of a I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and get into it quickly, right? I mean, that's the, what I love about women. We can ask these questions, you know, and, and not... Get down to the nitty-gritty. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I wish you all the luck in your career. Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate you bringing me on. Thank you, Lily. I hope you were inspired by Lily's story like I was. If you'd like to get in touch with Lily or follow what she's doing in Hollywood, go to my website for more information. Next week on the Companies That Care podcast, I interview Ross Ching of Mama and Hoppas here in Portland, Oregon, a zero-waste shop. If you're inspired by this episode or any others, or have an idea for a guest or topic I should cover, drop me a line at marie at fertilegroundcommunications.com. I love to hear from listeners. Thanks for listening to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review. 